Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad Podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. Welcome to I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell, and we got a great conversation for you today. Got a special guest for you, and her name is Dr. Matisa Wilbon, and she is the co-owner of Wilbon Enterprises. She is a wife, mother, author, speaker, educator, and consultant. She earned her BA in anthropology, sociology from Center College in Danville, Kentucky. She also received her master's and her doctorate degrees in sociology from the Ohio State University. She's a tenured assistant professor. She teaches university courses centered on her research interests, introduction to psychology, crime, and the media, juvenile delinquency, race and ethnicity, and structural inequality. She has a unique way of communicating her scholarship, particularly in a way that she loves to transform families, communities, and the church. In addition to that, she's an active researcher. She has conducted research on substance prevention and intervention and neighborhood violence prevention. And she's published many articles in those areas. And she's also our lead, our Fathers Incorporated's lead researcher. Thank you so much, Dr. Wilbon, for coming in. Let's get this conversation started. So today we're having a conversation about DEI. What is DEI? Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yes. Did I get that right? You got it right. (laughs) And so everybody's throwing those terms around. um, And the reason that I wanted to have this conversation is because people are beginning to talk about this as it relates to responsible fatherhood work. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to figure out, is it relevant? Mm-hmm. Is it a relevant conversation? And should I be concerned with having that conversation? Mm-hmm. But before we even do that, I want to talk a little bit about what it is. Explain to me a little bit what your thought process is as it relates to DEI, mm-hmm. but then what the broader public is trying to frame it as, because I know that those are probably two different things. Absolutely. So, you know, this term, the term has been around for a long time, and actually we're, we're really kind of moving away from it. Um, probably back in the 90s, that, that word became popular, the term, the concept, diversity, equity, inclusion, and it really was about representation, right? Do you, do you have people of color? Do you have all of the various groups represented? Um, today, it's been expanded to this idea that it's not just about representation, but can everybody not just see themselves physically, but are there intentional ways that programming is happening? Are there intentional ways in terms of policies and the way we do things so that everybody feels like they belong, like their voice matters, like their experience matters, like, um, you know, we're not just sort of narrowly defining whether it's fatherhood or whether it's organizations, are they including everyone? And so, you know, diversity really speaks to this idea of representation. Equity means does everybody have what they need to be successful? For a long time, we talked only about equality, right? But if you're giving everybody something equal, but everybody's starting at different playing 
fields, it's still not equal. So equity is about when people come in to your organization or to your program, are we understanding where they're starting from and giving them the appropriate tools to be successful from that place, knowing that I may come in with a different deficit than someone else. Someone else may come in with a privilege that I don't have. So equity is, are they all getting the same thing and, or, or what, what they need? Inclusion means that when they come, do they feel like they belong? Do they, do they, are we speaking their language, right? Have you ever been in a conversation and it feels like you're not included because you don't know what they're talking about, you don't mm-hmm. know the concepts, you don't know the words? Are we making sure that people that are being served are served from their level of experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about is when I hear you describe that, it sounds like the DEI work is more of a question than it is an action, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It sounds like mm-hmm. people are trying to define whether or not diversity exists mm-hmm. or equity exists mm-hmm. or inclusion exists. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen where the work leads to solution. Mm-hmm. I just have seen where it raises even more questions. Am I on point with that? I think it always has to start with the question. And the reason is because we have worked without that intentionality for years, mm-hmm. right? And I, when I say we, I say from a societal perspective. It, there has been sort of a way we do things, um, not considering culture, not considering, you know, all of the things that we're talking about now. It just is the way that it was. Um, but I think people have to start with the question so that they can really assess where they are. Because if you don't, you'll assume that you're getting it right when really you're not. Right. It also sounds a little bit when I'm listening to it, how close is this tapping on the door of affirmative action? Mm. wow that's a throwback but you know what a lot of people this is the difference it can become affirmative action if the heart right and this is just my perspective if the heart or the intention is to check a box Mm -hmm. is to get butts in a seat Mm -hmm. is to on the surface look like you're doing what society says you should be doing. Mm -hmm. That is affirmative action. Mm -hmm. And that's what people pushed against. From my perspective, if the heart really is, I want to make sure I'm meeting people where they are and I'm really serving individuals, then the solutions are different, right? I won't be satisfied with just saying I've got this kind of race, that kind of race, and Mm -hmm. we're good. But it really is saying, number one, asking the question, what disservice has, have we been doing? A lot of people have not been served well because it has been about checking a box. But if the heart posture, if the intention really is, I want dads from every walk of life to feel affirmed, to feel like they belong, to feel like they're being reached, then I don't think you can, it's not affirmative action. Hmm. I do think, though, that a lot of programs and organizations are cool with that checking. The, they don't want to call it affirmative action because it's a negative connotation now. Mm-hmm. But they're cool with saying, well, we have a program and we had X number of black people or X number of Latina, Latinx mm-hmm. folks. Mm-hmm. If that's all they're doing, then that is affirmative action. Yeah, it just kind of feels like as long as you're talking about it in theory then you can make it sound different. Correct. The question is when you engage in it in action, 
to me, it looks like a conversation that we've been having for a thousand years, which sounds like affirmative action. Mm -hmm. It just sounds like we thought we start with an issue, we move into a theory, and then we start talking about solution, and the solution doesn't look very much different than the solution has been in the past. Yeah. And so that's why I asked the question, is this just affirmative action with another name? But since we're making race stew, Mm-hmm. Let me throw another thing in there okay. because I want to know where the DEI stuff bumps up against critical race theory, mm. right? Because mm-hmm. it feels like that the conversation around critical race theory has been stimulated around this conversation with DEI. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a great question. So um, my understanding of critical race theory is that you know, we need to sort of look at history and we need to look at um, organizations and policies and procedures and the way we always have done it um, through a critical lens, understanding race, right? The way I do DEI, and, and I can't speak for everybody, the other thing about it, and this is another conversation, now everybody's a DEI expert, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, so if you want to do the work, all you have to do is put on your resume, I'm a DEI expert, and people want to hire you because of George Floyd, because of Ahmaud Arbery here in Georgia, because of Breonna Taylor in Kentucky. So now organizations are scrambling to do something to make it look like they are intentional about this work. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of us, though, who have been doing it and who have the heart to do it, I would say that we absolutely have to look at critical race theory or look at that lens because for me, Kenny, the difference is the solution has to come from looking at the history and the structure of the way we've always done things. So when I go into an organization, for example, the first thing I do is not create some program to say, you know, we need to look at implicit bias or we need to look at microaggressions. Those are buzzwords for today. My um, first step is to say, let me look at your organization. Let me do an organizational audit, right? So if your policies only speak to a certain type of a certain group, if it's only um, factoring in white folk, for example, you can see that in the policy. You can look at procedures and you can look at hiring, for example, and you know how organizations say, well, we, we, we're hiring and we can only get white people. There aren't black people who are qualified. We can't find them. Mm-hmm. That's always the excuse. Mm-hmm. And then when I look at their hiring practices and there are certain buzzwords there, they're only trying to attract a certain type of person. Or, or certain ways that they do things, of course you're only going to get a certain type of hire. Mm-hmm. So the solution then has to be rooted in history, critical race theory being a, a lens from which we look, mm-hmm. and looking at policies and procedures. If the solutions don't come from those things, mm-hmm. then you're exactly right. It'll be the same programs over and over mm-hmm. and over. You know, one of the things that I've been you know, laboring over since my move to Atlanta as it relates to my own organization and the work, um, the lens that people see Fathers Incorporated through is that we work with black fathers, right? Mm. And we do, yeah. right? Yeah. 98% of the fathers that we serve are African American, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then the question is, are you a black agency? Mm. Do you serve white fathers? Do you serve Native American? Absolutely, we do. What is it about my image that says to you that we don't serve all fathers? Sure. 
And it's always interesting that when folks see our image, they make the assumption that we don't serve all, but we are expected to see their image and believe that they serve all, Mm -hmm. which they don't, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so should agencies whose natural... um, and I always talk about the casting of the fishnet, right? And so when we are trying to get our fathers, we cast a broad fishnet. Whoever is, when we pull it back, when we open it up, when I look down, it, they all look like trout, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So why don't you have kingfish in there, Braswell? Well, we threw the net out. We only caught this. This is what it looks like. Mm-hmm. So when you're running programs and people want to infuse this conversation into a conversation with an organization like Fathers Incorporated that's working in the depths of urban centers that probably look more Latino and black. Mm -hmm. How do we fit in that conversation? Do we add to that conversation? Should we be concerned with that conversation or should we dismiss that conversation? I, I think everybody should be part of the conversation to make sure that they're being inclusive in all of that. I think that that should be something across the board. Um, do I think that if you are an organization that primarily attracts uh, fathers of color, should you then say, well, what can we do to attract white fathers, for example? Or, I don't think that's the right conversation. I don't think it's let's stop doing this and let's try to get more people. I think you're right. Where you serve matters. I just think that to have that conversation mean, means that if we did get white fathers here, they would feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I know about Fathers Incorporated and, and some organizations like yours is you're interested in helping fathers. Mm-hmm. You give tools for fathers. Mm-hmm. Um, where you serve, though, to some degree necessitates who's more attracted, right? Um, and so, again, I think there should be the conversation, but to exclude or stop doing certain things just to attract other fathers, I don't think that's the solution. But that's where these things feel to me like numbers, like checking a box, right? Because it always sounds like the solution to the diversity conversation, equity conversation, and to a certain extent the inclusion conversation is that I have to fill a void, Mm -hmm. right? That Mm -hmm. my actions has to lead to filling a void. Mm -hmm. What is that void? The absence of diversity, the absence of inclusion, and the absence of um, equity. And then when you look at filling that void, how do you fill that void where you fill that void with bodies? Mm. And then what does the, what do those bodies have to look like? Mm-hmm. So if you're an agency, you know, that has 99% white employees, then filling that void is I got to go out and look for black bodies, mm-hmm. right? So the action in talking about DEI for that agency isn't an action in understanding the importance of diversity, the reason you want to be included, and the necessity of equity, mm-hmm. it becomes a task of filling a hole. I think if you're doing it wrong. If you're doing it wrong. I think if you're doing it wrong, that, that becomes the, the perspective. Let's go out and get more. I think that's affirmative action. Mm-hmm. That's not what we want to do. What I think, and if you go back to the fishing analogy, if you are really intentional, the, the, the net should be wide, mm-hmm. right? And it should have, you know... If you are trying to get a certain type, now I'm not a fisher person, my dad is, right? <laughs> I know if you want to get crappy or if you want to get bass, you've got different bait for different types of fish. Mm-hmm. But if you are in a 
position where you just want to cast that net and get all kinds of fish, then you just cast that net wide. What has happened over time is that some organizations, they only want bass. They, mm. they couch it to say, we want as many different kind of fish as possible, but they're consistently using a certain type of bait. Mm. Um, and so you're, and, but then when you question that, well, you're only getting bass, they say, well, we cast the net. Well, no, but you only had <laughs> bait that's gonna, that bass will be attracted to. So the point that I want to make with that is I don't think that it's, you know, if you're in a particular type of neighborhood or, or you know, serving the urban community, of course, you're going to get bait that's going to impact that particular group. I think the problem comes in when you've got organizations that tout themselves as being for everybody, mm-hmm. but they're really not, right? So if and the other thing I think that's unique with Fathers Incorporated is race is essential. That You know, you, you serve 98% of black fathers, as you said. Um, but also, are there fathers in the community that might be black, but maybe they're Muslim or they're, you know, there are other elements mm-hmm. of diversity that, that one might think about. Mm-hmm. Um, how, do you, how do you attract those folks? Or mm-hmm. how do you at least cast a net mm-hmm. where they might see themselves mm-hmm. being part of Fathers Incorporated? Well, there's all, and I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because there's all kinds of differences. You know, one of the conversations that I've been driving home for the last few months or so is being able to address this generational issue. Right? There you go. And so are, am I attracting young dads mm-hmm. or seasoned dads or mature dads then not only how am I attracting them but how am I serving them and built to serve them once I come into the space Perfect. and I think that when you don't deal with the culture of your agency right that is making sure that everybody in the agency understands why you're engaging in this effort right Mm -hmm. so why are there now more black employees coming in and not more white employees this is the person who's sitting behind a cubicle just observing what's happening on the other side of their cubicle Mm -hmm. and they're saying I've worked here for 50 years and we've never had this many black people in here is this a result of the conversation that I hear on the news every night Mm. right and those things never come together because no one ever explains it and I think one of the issues is not issues it's a challenge because I've been on conversations in DEE DEI um, presentations where people have done that presentation that don't look like me absolutely right and what I'm hearing them saying doesn't match up with what I know needs to be done. Mm-hmm. So can you, it's a question that we often have to ask in the fatherhood work, which is can moms do fatherhood work? Can women do fatherhood work? Mm-hmm. Can people who are not part of the privileged class mm-hmm. have a conversation that makes sense in the diverse, in the DEI space? Sure, sure. Um, I think it's a great question. And I think... The way I would answer it is there has to be education all around. I mean, you you mentioned that earlier. Um, there There's 
some of what I can teach as a DEI expert, if you will, from my lived experience, Mm -hmm. right? So you can give me all the theories. You can talk about critical race theory. I know what I have experienced, Mm -hmm. um, both as a woman and and as a person of color in terms of that work. So I think there's credence to that. Um, If I were to come as a woman, come into the fatherhood space, I think there has to be lots of education. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I think there has to be awareness. Can, can a woman lend a particular perspective to the work? 100%. Mm-hmm. But I think it has to be contextualized within understanding, you know, that you're a mother and not a father and sort of what that brings to the table. Mm-hmm. I think that's why you have to go back to the heart and intentionality. It can't just be about, I'm going to come in and we're going to do this work and I'm going to, this is my perspective. You have to sit down and think about, okay, what what is our objective here and what's the best way to get to it? And I think, unfortunately, a lot of organizations don't do that work. Mm-hmm. They just want to come in and say, let's do X, Y, Z because we have all this turmoil and, and unrest and we need to look like we're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. But if you've got the heart, then you need to really sit down and have conversations. So, you know, there are people within the DEI space who are in the majority, right? They don't look like me necessarily as a woman of color. That doesn't mean that there isn't something that they can offer. But number one, they need to know, they need to be able to acknowledge like a Tim Wise. I don't know if you know him. He's a phenomenal person. One of the things I love about him is he says, listen, there are people of color who have been doing this work for a long time, who know more than me, who are my mentors, Mm -hmm. but this is what I can add to it. Mm -hmm. I can respect that, right? I can respect what he's adding, but that he can, he understands. And so I think in the same way to end this part, a woman, a mother could potentially do the work. But understand she comes from a limited perspective and understand that she's not a father. And how can we work in tandem, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what I would it's say. It's a difficulty in doing this work for me and getting my head around it because it seems like we always want to engage in it during crisis. Absolutely. Right? It's got to be a strike of the match before people realize that the heat doesn't feel good. Right? Absolutely. The strike. And so and I want to end this conversation here because I also think this is relevant to the DEI conversation and even the, the, the working within it during crisis. And that is the reaction to DEI mm-hmm. in the public space, right? Mm-hmm. Where um, people use terms like Man, I'm so sick and tired of talking about race. Mm-hmm. Why do we always have to bring race? I mean, for a little bit, the term race card was thrown in there to kind of back people off because you don't want to play the race card, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do want to play it because you played it first. Right? <laughs> I didn't play it first or second. Right, right, but right. But the whole, um, I'm not going to say process, but the mechanism of stimulating that for the past five years, less this past year, more previous four years, is this notion that if we begin to start talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, that I'm taking something away from you mm. to create this space of fear that you're losing something. And as a result of that, you're fighting against it because you think I'm taking something from you as opposed to adding something to you. Absolutely. How do we deal with that conversation when we're looking at that? I think I think that's a challenge. 
and that's something that I'm up against all the time in the work that I do and others that I know. Mm-hmm. There's a phenomenal book, um, if anybody's interested. It's called White Rage, and it's by Dr. Carol, Carol Anderson. She's at Vanderbilt, if I'm not mistaken. And she shows in history, throughout history, how whenever these conversations have come up from Reconstruction, which happened after the Civil War, where people of color got rights and were, you know, um, politicians and all of that, out of that grew the Jim Crow South mm-hmm. and the Ku Klux Klan because there was this idea that if somebody is getting something, that means it's being taken from the folks who always had it. So mm-hmm. that is a, a never-ending cycle. Um, I'm not sure that I have the answer in, in showing people that that's not necessarily true, um, but I think there, there just have to be these conversations and, and the pushback to say y- folks are at such a level of privilege that it's you're ne- you're not going to have stuff taken away from you mm-hmm. just because you're giving equal rights to individuals who need it. Right. Um, that is a pushback. That is something that people say to try to stop the conversation. But again, if organizations are truly doing what they're supposed to do, mm-hmm. top down, it can't just be an individual saying it. They have to be able to really look at the way the way things are and say, we're going to keep moving forward. I've got organizations that I can say on the positive side when when their um, staff members or employees started saying that who said, no, mm-hmm. we're absolutely going to forge ahead with this work. And their organization has become better for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I don't know, like I said, I don't have a, a quick and fast answer. That's something that always comes up. But we just have to keep pushing and keep moving forward. Yeah, I know. I just think that some at some point that the conversation has to right size, right? And people have to kind of figure out where they fit into the conversation and how they fit into the conversation. Yeah. Um, I also think that, um, and this is a whole nother conversation, we'll have to do a part two to this conversation so we can kind of touch on all the things that I think contribute to this conversation that also causes much of the confusion that we have about it. Mm-hmm. Social media has an, a, a, a huge impact on the dialogue because people are so reactive. So reactive. Um, and then the second conversation is the impact of um, post-traumatic slave syndrome, particularly on black people, mm. and how we've been continually traumatized and we're trying to have a conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah on top of the traumatic experience that we've had as a people, not only us, but Native Americans. Absolutely. And and poor whites, right, in this country, have been oppressed in a lot of different ways. Absolutely. Economically, socially, all kinds of different ways. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody either comes into this conversation with the agenda of privilege Mm -hmm. or pain. Right. One or the other. And those two don't match in the ring together. Right. And let me say this. I, I think that's such a great, great point. Because the other thing about it is, because you even mentioned poor whites, and I think that's that's a really, really good import, important point that we don't talk about enough. Mm-hmm. Because you can be a person of color and still come into the conversation with some privilege that you don't even realize right. that you have. <laughs> and so the issue becomes everybody talking past each other mm-hmm. and not really having a clear conversation and trying to hear from the other person. I'm from Appalachia, so I know what it means to be a a woman of color, but I also know what it means to be poor Appalachian Mm -hmm. and to be in community and conversation with poor whites who are from Appalachia. That's a different experience than a 
a person from Boston, right? And so we have to have conversations around all of that Mm -hmm. when it comes to DEI, because if we don't, then you do have people who feel, and rightfully so, left out. Mm -hmm. There are people who wave their hand and say, I don't have privilege. I'm a a white person, but I don't have, you know, I didn't grow up with privilege. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... That's why I'm saying everybody can't do the work who thinks that they can, because you have to really be able to have real conversations that include all of those voices and experiences. Mm-hmm. That I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I think that's a that phenomenal point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's so many angles to this conversation. We should probably talk a little more about it, but here's what I want you to do. Tell people how to get in touch with you, I think, and I've heard Dr. Wilbon talk about DEI. She impresses me every time she talks about it, and I've just wanted to kind of tease this conversation apart because I struggle with the conversation and the, and the societal narrative, right? And I was, in fact, so 4th of July just passed, mm-hmm. along with Juneteenth just passed. Mm-hmm. Both of those days, both of those days trigger me. Hmm. Both of them. Gotcha. For different reasons. Gotcha. And it's because of the erratic response to both of those days not taking into consideration what they really mean and what you're celebrating. And Absolutely. that's when I talk about the post-traumatic slave syndrome. Mm-hmm. Like I made a post and I said, um, if you celebrate, if you celebrate it fourth, if you are black, I didn't put black in there. I just said if you celebrated the Fourth of July, mm-hmm. and you have something to say about the inequity of the young man that was shot sixty mm-hmm. times in Akron, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, what was it? What was the other thing? And um, it was him and. Um, Oh, and the capture of the young man that murdered those people in Chicago. If you cannot, if you can see the inequity in this Mm -hmm. and you can't see the inequity in that, then you're traumatized Mm -hmm. and you need to step away from the computer. Yeah. Right. Because you can't on one hand celebrate a day that clearly black folks weren't free. Sure. But then have a conversation on the inequity that you've seen with the young man in Akron yeah. and the person that they captured in Chicago. Yeah. Because the same thing, situation that we were in then, we're in now. Mm-hmm. And you can't just celebrate that in some way makes you celebrate that. Absolutely. Right? And that, Absolutely. that's the trauma that I'm talking about that mm-hmm. people... And I just, you know, I'm, I'm clear. I think that people... You know, and you watch the dialogue because what I did not see this year was a lot of pushback to the conversation. Because sometimes you'll see some people say, "You are you, you need to relax. You know, you all got to make races." I didn't see any of that this year. Hmm. And what I think is that a lot of people, you know, particularly people of color, during those those particularly those two days, Juneteenth and um, and Fourth of July, stay away from social media because they want to be able to kind of do what they're doing in peace without having their conscious attacked for that day. Sure, sure, sure. Right. Right. Because even my wife said, yes, yeah, a day off. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't even know right now. <laughs> Claim a day off. Because we, you know, we, we have to have this conversation. It's a federal holiday and everybody, just because the federal holiday only means that the feds have given the feds an official day off. Right, right. You ain't a fed. Right. You work for me. (laughs) So I get to choose what holidays you take on and put off. Yeah, traditionally, we do that. I said, but these holidays now are so uh, 
exclusive word for these holidays. They just lack real meaning. Well, that's that's the conversation. You know, some people could say that Juneteenth in some ways, and I'm not dissing it. You know, people celebrate it. I get it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I think to your point, that is this is that an affirm not affirmative action, but or is that an appeasement? Right. Right, that's the, the question. I'm checking the box. I know this is, and I know it's important to a lot of people. So I don't want to negate that, especially people in Texas and down south and all of that. Um, but is this an appeasement, right? Mm-hmm. If we're if we're giving Juneteenth mm-hmm. um, as a holiday, but we're still able to kill a, a Jalen, I can't remember okay. his last name. Yes, mm-hmm. and we're still able to kill him in that way, um, while we take this other guy freely into who just killed these people who who was about to go to another celebration to kill more people they discovered Mm -hmm. take him peacefully what are we really doing so i I 100 percent get your point there is fatigue all around there is this 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 stress that you're talking about and it cycles that's the other thing and i think that's the thing that's a challenge when are we going to get to the real heart of the matter but there's so many layers mm-hmm. that it's not easy to do. Yeah. So I took away your moment. Yes. Tell folks yeah, yeah, yeah. how to get in touch with you so that they can get in touch with you. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me, first of all. Um, but folks can get in touch with me. Instagram and Twitter, super easy, at Matisa Wilbin. At Matisa Wilbin, uh, Instagram and Twitter. Those are the main ways that they can get a hold of me. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us. You've been listening to I Am Dad Podcast. We hope that you have been informed, encouraged you to think, or even inspired your heart for the love of dads. The conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IamDadPodcast.com. That's IamDadPodcast.com. Until next time. I leave you with this reminder of manhood from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things because of this reminder. I will always understand that I am dad, period. period.